Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. For several weeks, we've been selecting episodes from our listener library, a list of recommendations sent to us by you, our mysterious listeners. And we'll do one more before we switch gears for next week's special 100th episode. A while back, we listened to the Kabbalah from Murder at Midnight. A listener named Bob left a comment suggesting we listen to Ape Song from that same series. Murder at Midnight first aired on September 16, 1946. A total of 50 episodes were created for the series, and the show's chilling introduction was provided by Raymond Morgan. It was one of the first shows to appear on the newly minted ABC network. After the FCC mandated that NBC Red and Blue must separate, NBC Blue was bought by Edward J. Noble, the highly successful owner of the Rexall drugstore chain and the creator of Lifesavers Candies. He paid $8 million. That's a lot of Lifesavers. It was recommended that the network change its name to something that began with the letter A, so it would always appear at the top of alphabetic listings. After three years of transitioning away from the Blue Network, the American Broadcasting Company came into being in January 1946. Ape Song was written by Peter Martin and directed by Anton M. Leder. After Leder served as director for Murder at Midnight through the end of the show's run in 1947, he went on to serve serve as a producer on Suspense. Not long after that, he made the transition to directing for television and carved out a career that spanned over 20 years, working on shows such as Hawaii Five-O, Get Smart, The Virginian, Leave It to Beaver, Rawhide, Ironside, Gilligan's Island, and the original series of Star Trek. Our thanks to Bob for recommending we listen to a sample of Leader's work, Ape Song from Murder at Midnight. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. On the top floor, we finally caught up with her. Crane, please, please. That ape, get him out of here. I'll do anything, anything. You treated me like an animal, Cecily. And now an animal shall treat you as you deserve. Choke you to death. Midnight. The witching hour when the night is darkest and our fears the strongest. Our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a moment in The Ape Song. Midnight, Tales of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Peter Martin is The Ape Song. Night and fog shroud a nondescript freighter just in from Africa and now unloading its cargo in New York Harbor. Down in the ship's deepest hold stands Crane Folliot, the famous big game hunter. Before him is an iron cage containing his latest conquest, a restless thing of panic and hysteria and insensate passions, a huge ape. Quiet. Don't be afraid. 
I'm not going to kill you, hurt you. I've killed too much already. And besides, I need you to live, need your help. Now, that's better. Yes, my friend, you shall live to save me from death. A death in life. I'll be taking them off in a minute. Huh? Oh, good. Lucky thing we were able to get a hold of another truck. Why the university forgot to send their truck is beyond me. Still, I don't think keeping the animal in my cellar overnight will harm him or anybody. Nah. Look at him shake, though. He's scared. Well, not scared, exactly. That's because, like all apes taken from their natural habitat, he imagines he's in the presence of death. Death? Yes. What's he doing now, opening and closing his mouth as if he were trying to sing or something? How, how did you know? No. Know what? Oh, I'm sorry. No, you, you wouldn't know. They can sing, though. Yeah? They do. But only when they're in the presence of death. We rode home through the foggy night in the truck, the ape and I. The house was dark when we got there, and I had to give the driver and his helper an extra $20 to take the canvas-covered crate holding the ape around to the back door and into the cellar. Walking up the cellar stairs, I entered the front hall and... Uh, Foliot, is that you? Dr. Murchison. Yes, welcome home. Uh, what, what are you doing here? Your wife was just going out when I came here, but she let me in and I've been waiting for you. Waiting for me? Yes. I was about to go myself when I heard a noise downstairs. Oh, I suppose you want to know where the ape is. Well, he's downstairs in the cellar. I see. Foliot, why did you bring the ape here rather than to my laboratory? Well, the laboratory truck never arrived. What? It's impossible. I personally arranged for it to meet you at the pier. Why are you questioning me, Dr. Murchison? You don't really think I want an ape as a house guest, do you? The only thing I was interested in was to get the ape to a safe place until morning. Then I was going to call you. I see. Uh, can't you wait to start cutting him up, whatever you intend to do with him? You want to take him with you now? Well, you know that's impossible, Foliot. And you know we don't intend to cut him up. Well, I'm sorry, Doctor, but the strain taking care of him, you know what delicate animals they are. Uh, won't you come into my study and we can talk? Thanks, Foliot, but now that I know he's safe, I must be running along. As you wish. When, uh, when will you send the truck around, take him to the laboratory? Around noon, I should say. Good. Get some sleep, man. You look terribly tired. Yes, good, peaceful sleep at last. Hello, someone's at the door. Uh, yes, yes, I imagine it's my wife. Oh, oh, Crane. Hello, Cecily. You're back. Yes. Why? Why? That's a strange question. You know Dr. Murchison, don't you? Yes. I was just about to leave, Mrs. Folliot. You must excuse my wife, Doctor. She's so pleased at seeing me that she's forgotten her manners. I understand. Well, I'll be in touch with you. Brian? Good night, Mrs. Folliot. Good night. Crane, you promised you'd stay away until November. Yes, I know I did. But the thought of you all alone in this big house doing nothing but waiting for me to return to your welcoming arms... What else could I do but rush home as quickly as I could, my dear? Don't be sarcastic, Crane. On the contrary, my dear. I'm not being half as sarcastic as I'd like to be. Excuse me, I, I'm going to bed. But uh, don't you care for me just a little, Cecily? Just enough to kiss me goodnight? Let me pass. I've never asked very much of you, you know. No more than the friendly pat on the head you give to your dog. I said let me pass. Yes, Cecily. But first, there's something I must tell you. How tired I am of being a hunter, of killing wild animals instead of enjoying the happiness of my home with you. You seem to enjoy your hunting trips well enough. You're always going on them and bragging about them to everybody. Now, let me pass, Crane. Please believe me, Cecily. Hunting is only a substitute. A very unsatisfactory substitute for the love I hope to receive from you. I never do. I thought we'd settled all that. Yes, but I... 
I never dreamed you'd treat me like some loathsome animal you couldn't bear near you as though I wasn't a man but an ape. When are you leaving on your next trip? When? Yes. Because until you do, I'm going away. If you hate me so much, my dear, why don't you go to Reno and get divorced? You know my family doesn't approve of divorce. Of course they don't. Especially when it's a matter of losing the foliot millions along with the husband. How can you be so disgusting? Something terrible has happened to me, Cecily. Something which forbids me ever to go hunting again. Don't make silly excuses. You know you love to hunt. Not uh, anymore, Cecily. Something has happened that makes me terrified ever to hunt again. What on earth are you talking about? I really can't explain it, my dear. But on this last trip, every time I killed a wild animal, I imagined I was killing... I was killing you. I watched her run up the stairs in terror. I heard the slam of her bedroom door. Stood there at the foot of the stairs for a moment, dazed, yet more certain than ever of what I had to do. And then quite unexpectedly, I felt the wet sting of tears on my cheeks. Yes, there were tears, but no sound. I thought of the ape in the hold of the ship silently opening and closing his mouth. Some outside force seemed to be guiding me now as though I was a mechanically controlled robot. I began walking down the hallway to the cellar door. The darkness didn't frighten me. It was my friend. I went down the cellar steps in perfect calm, never thinking to snap on the light. No, it was the darkness that soothed me, whispered to me. The darkness and the presence of my friend. He sensed me, of course. And more than that, he expected me. He knew I was coming. I went to him. There he was, outlined in the dim light of a faraway street lamp, coming into the cellar from the grating over my head. <laughs> yes, my friend. You want to be free, don't you? <laughs> yes, and why not be free? But before I let you out of your cage, we must understand each other. There is a price you must pay for your freedom. Am I really being so unreasonable? Listen, you shall do what I command you to do with an ecstasy of satisfaction, do you hear? For this time, it is no animal you will see die, but a human being. And more than that, my friend, you will not only see her die, but you yourself shall kill her, shall avenge all the terrible deaths I have dealt your fellow brothers of the animal kingdom. Ah, I see you are pleased. And you should be. Didn't I kill your mate? But I tell you, Cecily drove me to it in my need to quench my murder lust against her. And now, my friend, you shall act as my conscience. You shall kill Cecily in revenge. Your spirit shall be my spirit and Cecily will die. Yes, yes, you do understand. Here in my hand is the key to your cage, the key to your freedom and mine. We have made our bargain, haven't we? Yes, yes. We understand each other as though we were two brothers. Yes. Come out. Now. Upstairs to her room. It is there that you shall sing at last. Yes, your song of freedom, your ape song. And so man and ape start for the room of their victim. Start up the stairs side by side in the darkness as the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! At midnight. And now back to Murder at Midnight and the Ape Song. 
Crane Folliot and his ape continue up the steps to Cecily's room. We went up the cellar stairs together. And it didn't seem strange when the ape took my hand as though wishing me to guide him. And then for a moment I was afraid of trouble. The ape became fascinated with the heavy carpeting in the hallway, patting it with his hand as an infant plays with sand. But finally I got him to stand up and come with me. We made hardly any sound as we climbed the main staircase leading to her room. What is it, my dear? What's the matter? Oh, something in the room. I, I hear it. I see its eyes. But that's fantastic, my dear. There. There it is. Crane. Crane, what are you doing to me? I see nothing. I hear nothing. Crane, let go of my arm. In a moment. But won't you kiss me, please? You... You're going to kill me. Oh, no, no, not I. Come, aren't you going to kiss me just once, as you used to in the old, old days? All right. Yes. Anything, but let me go. Good. Now, let me hold you in my arms. Oh, Cecily, I need you so. Why have I lost you? Why did you forsake me, Cecily? Go! Cecily, come back. Don't run. You can't get away. Very well, if that's the way you want it. It was quite a chase. I followed them as they ran through the house from room to room, floor to floor. She seemed to be making for the roof, but I knew if she got away from me, she'd never, never shake off the ape. Finally, on the top floor, we caught up with her in the attic. Crane! Please! Please, that ape! Get him out of here, Crane! I'll do anything! You treated me like an animal, Cecily. And now an animal shall treat you as you deserve. Choke the life out of you. There she is, over there in the corner. No! No, Crane! She made me kill your mates. Kill her! Kill her! Kill her! Goodbye, Cecily. I felt wonderful. I stood over her body and thought I could smell the sea and hear the pounding of the clean waves. I felt sleepy again, really sleepy again. I knew I could sleep now. I don't know how long I stood there or how long the doorbell was ringing until I remembered that it wasn't I that had killed her, but the ape. I was safe. Why not go downstairs and open the door? get a taxi, and I wanted to see the ape first thing in the morning anyway, so I thought I'd come back to that comfortable sofa of yours. Dr. Murchison, the ape has escaped. Escaped? Yes, he jumped out of a window into a tree after killing my wife. Folliot, what are you saying? Yes, right after you left. The first I knew of it was when she screamed. I ran upstairs to her room, but... Queer. What was that? I merely said it was queer. I can't tell you how sorry I am, Folliot, for you. Sorry for me? Shouldn't I be? In a way. Yes, it's lucky you did come back. We'll have to organize a search for the ape, of course. Call the police. Yes. I am sorry for you, Folliot. Terribly sorry. The days that followed were the happiest of my life. At the inquest, the coroner's verdict was death by accidental strangulation. The ape could not be found, and the official opinion was that he drowned in the river, his body carried out to sea. Everything had worked out perfectly, until I began to become aware of something strange and frightening and horrible. All this was happening to me. One day on the street... You dropped a coin, sir. Oh, thanks, that dime. I... I have it. Uh... Did you hurt your finger? Here, let me pick it up for you. Uh, thank you, my thumb. Somehow I can't seem to bring it across. My thumb was no longer opposable. I couldn't bring it across my fingers. I never realized what it could mean until a few days later at a ball game. 
Get your scorecard at the game. Can't tell nothing without a scorecard, mister. Never mind. Come on, mister. Only a dime a scorecard. You don't want to spoil the pleasure of the game just for a dime, do you? Move on, you idiot. Yeah, who are you? A quiz kid or something? I said get out of here. Take your hands off of me, you ape, you. What was happening to me? I could hardly force myself to think about it. But I had to. Especially after what happened at my club. I say there, fellow, you old men. Have a seat in the chat. Uh, thank you, Sam, but I've got to be going. Uh, yes, of course. I see. You see what? Lumbago, eh? Can't straighten up your back. Uh, going to a doctor, eh? You think it would help, do you? I don't know. But you certainly can't spend the rest of your life bending over like that with your hands hanging halfway to your knees. A half hour later, I was in Murchison's office. Now, now, you must take it easy, Folliot. We all have our off days, you know. You've got to help me, Dr. Murchison. You don't know what I'm going through. I wonder. You do look rather... I can't stand wearing shoes anymore. They torture me. And I can't straighten my back up. Have you ever had rheumatism? Any severe back injury? Rheumatism? You sit there talking like that when I've caught myself making sounds like an ape? Don't you realize what's happening? That's what I'm becoming, an ape. You're a psychiatrist, aren't you? Well, do something. You've got to do something. Quit your whimpering and listen. I can help you, but only if you cooperate. I'll do anything. Admit you arranged for your wife's murder. What? With the ape's help. Everything points to it, Folliot. Bringing the ape to your house, your strange behavior before and after I left. And now the transference. I don't know what you're talking about. It's quite simple. Arranging for the ape to strangle your wife put you legally in the clear. But you can't strangle your guilt. You can only suppress it. And unconsciously in your guilt, you have taken on the actual characteristics of the ape. If you say that again, I'll kill you. Killing me would only prove your guilt twice over. Be sensible, Folliot. Trust me. I've taken extensive note on your case. You've taken note? Yes, because I knew that some sort of reaction would set in. Oh, Folliot, no, no. Keep away from me. No. You're, you're going to turn me over to the police. You're against me, too. Everyone's against me trying to hunt me down. But you won't get me. You won't. Please, stop I dropped him. And he fell to the floor gasping. And then I tore open the door and ran. I didn't know where I was going, what I was going to do next. I only knew I had to hide. I found an abandoned house, hid in the cellar, and there, there in the darkness, it all became clear. Ape. The ape who had killed Cecily. I was the ape. That meant he was Crane Folliot, and that meant... Yes. I had to find him somehow. Kill him for killing Cecily. And that way, that way become my old self again. Where could I go? Where would I hide if I were he? Where there is green. Yes, and trees. And rocks. Ape, yes. In the park. night in the park, I threw off my shoes and walked barefoot, concealed in the night as I hunted my mortal enemy. Piece by piece, I discarded my clothes, my jacket, my shirt, my trousers, walking like the animal I had become. My eyes were sharper than they'd ever been. I could see even in the darkness. And then... As the moon started to go down, I climbed a ridge. There were caves, cages, stone houses, the zoo. And then I heard something, something that made the hair prickle on the back of my neck. My fingers itched and my body shook as I heard the sound that told me I had found my enemy, the ape. I jumped down toward the sounds, my lips... Puffing in and out with my heavy breathing, my head pounding like a trip hammer. 
my entire body aflame with the hot blood of murder. I ran to where the sounds came from, and there was a locked steel door. The ape was snarling, daring me to come near him. I ran around to the other side, wrenched a fire axe from the wall, and came back to the door. I smashed at the lock with the sharp edge of the axe, opened the door, and leaped into the cage. He reared at me with his hind legs, and I sprang at his throat. Holy Moses! Jake, get your gun quick! There's a man in there! Yes! Hurry up, though! Die! Die for killing Cecily! And die in me, too! Let me rip Foliot! Foliot, do you hear? Watch out! The cage is open! Dead! Yes, dead! And I free! There he is, Chick. Let him have it. Yes, it's he. I pronounce him dead. Who'd have thought a man could make a sound like that? It was dark, and we thought the ape had killed him, so Jake just fired. What gets me is his trying to kill an ape with his bare hands and doing it. Mm. In his crazed mind, this was the same ape he provoked into killing his wife. I'll never forget that sound as long as I live. Never. The complete transference into ape. Yet he could have been saved. Look at them lying on the ground. Too bad we couldn't have gotten here a minute sooner. Sure left an easy trail, dropping his shoes and clothes after him piece by piece. Ape and man on the ground, side by side. It ain't pretty. His toes turned in, puffs of hair from the ape's throat still clutched between his fingers, his teeth biting into his lower lip. Poor Folliot. Or should I say poor humans? How close to animals we really are. Two bodies lying side by side in the darkness, with no one to say which was the victim, as the clock strikes twelve for murder at to be with us again when death pads through the night with glowing eyes and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of the big game hunter was played by Raymond Edward Johnson. With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leader. Midnight and the episode Ape Song here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from Bob. Bob, right. Thank you, Bob. And this is something you picked out of the listener uh, request barrel, which I really wish we had an actual. <laughs> that would be great. But uh, why'd you pick this? Well, to touch on that and then also just to get the elephant in my head dealt with, um, <laughs> Ape Song for me, reminds me of another episode we have done. Yes. 
but I don't want to actually speak about that episode because if you have not listened to that episode, it's a bit of a surprise the reason this we refer to that episode. Mm-hmm. So there is another episode that we have done in our past, and if you want to know what I'm talking about, just listen to every episode we have done in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and when you What's when you get to the one of that, that is, episode, I can't even remember. I'm not going to tell you. It's an episode of dark fantasy. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, just because I I want people who are listening to that episode to have no warning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I love that episode, and this made me think of it. <laughs> you loved it for the wrong reason. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I now hear the word ape. <laughs> I'm thinking of that episode of Dark Fantasy that we're talking about, and uh, I just cross my fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> and that didn't happen for me uh, on this one. I will say, also, I, the reasons I really enjoyed this episode were not the wrong reasons. I ah. feel like I like this for appropriate reasons. My first question, by the way, there's a Dr. Murchison in this. Wasn't there another Dr. Murchison or a Murchison in another episode of something? And I cannot pinpoint it. Do you guys remember? I was thinking the same thing, but I can't figure out I where can't remember it's what episode. from. I Murchison. barely know your names. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, so what we need to do is go back and listen to Every all episode. <laughs> 98 of the other episodes. Yes. So this guy uh, basically tries to kill his wife. Well, he does. He kills his wife using an ape as a weapon. Yes. Uh, it is a very implausible murder scheme. <laughs> <laughs> well, to touch on one of the first things we usually talk about when this sort of thing crops up is that little teaser at the front that is generally pretty unpopular of, hey, here's a quick little scene from the show we're going to be listening to. And I can already see scowls and yeah. head shakings. It's, um, it's pointless. We've it's, said it before, but it just gives away the fact that he successfully mm-hmm. kills his wife. If you gave me this without that teaser and let me listen to it, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Instead, because of that teaser, I had to sit and wait for the inevitable to happen. Oh, I did not know that he was going to turn into a gorilla himself, but that wasn't that great of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> what does it take to impress you? Oh, my goodness. If it happened it, for real, that would be impressive, sure. <laughs> Guy turned into an ape, be it a guilt. Uh, I, I would never argue, at least I won't argue in this case, like, no, it was really nice that they had that, but it was a, an appealing twist that the murder they previewed was pretty early on and not mm-hmm. really the point of the whole story. Right, that is true. It was a bit of a red herring as a preview. Yeah. I, I did have a moment where I said, well, there we go. Wait, we're only <laughs> yeah. 17 minutes into this. They thing. already had their murder at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just waiting for breakfast at 6. <laughs> <laughs> that show's terrible. It's <laughs> a lot of yawning. Mm. Why don't we do breakfast at eight? Uh, so I will say this: the guy who does the ape impression is amazing. Yeah, is it Paul Freeze? No, it's a guy named Brad Barker who specialized in animal sounds. I guess the term in old time radio was a croc. C R A W D. Someone who was amazing wow. at making animal sounds. I just learned something, really? Yeah. yeah. The growling, the throat yeah. sounded like an effect. But from what I read, whether it's true or not, that was his voice. They might have had a slight mic effect on it, but it was wow. a man generating I all those ape sounds. I thought it was a mix of a live performer and recording, because it was, it was really good if that was all yeah. one guy performing. If we are to believe the internet... <laughs> <laughs> Which is a dangerous thing to do, uh, but th- that was a performer, and it fits with everything else mm-hmm. you know. I've read about old time radio people right. specializing: someone who can scream, someone who can sound like a baby crying, yeah, <laughs> and a gorilla, and it, it was really <laughs> impressive. It really helped this story mm-hmm. that it had a credible animal sound in the background. I'm getting the vibe I might be a little more enthusiastic about this. Than no, I actually <laughs> really love this story, and I'm prepared to defend it with the insensate passions of a huge ape. (laughs) (laughs) Look, here's the deal. I think it was really well done. Mm. I think it was well performed, and there's a couple of minor things that if I was directing it, I'd go back and fix. But here's the overall thing. The story itself, ah, it's okay. So we're going to kill her with the gorilla, and then he feels guilt and turns into a gorilla. I guess... You know what? I'm going to go back to it. I think that I got really, really waylaid by the the preview, mm. and it made me mad that 17 minutes of this or whatever it was was me going, yep, 
then I looked scornfully at the last eight minutes <laughs> and didn't give it a chance because I was so mad that I knew I was waiting for that to come. But there are great moments of acting. I think that the actor who, uh, forgive me, the guy that turns into the ape. And Rain. Him, it's Raymond Edward Johnson. Oh. oh you didn't recognize no, the, I did from not. the Inner Sanctum? Oh, I no. The entire time I was expecting him to bust out some oh. badass monkey puns on us. <laughs> <laughs> that was Raymond. Yes. No oh, way. Well, he was phenomenal. I owe him an apology for not catching that. <laughs> yeah, right? Sorry, Raymond. His transition from mad and then agitated, nervous, guilt to a monkey. Do you know what I'm saying? All of it was a really nice, slow climb. And I thought he did a fantastic job. And he's over the top from the get-go, but he not amazingly like, finds not... somewhere to go, though. So that's the beauty of Raymond Edward Johnson. He can start really high right. and not peak (laughs) (laughs) but compared to Raymond yeah he's nowhere near this was subtle this was subtle (laughs) very subtle not so interesting I think the crowning achievement of this radio show is that it ever so briefly forced me to imagine a naked Raymond Edward Johnson (laughs) grappling with a gorilla (laughs) I tried to wipe it away as fast as I could but that's I, uh, the thing, you know, with a TV or movies, you can look away. Right. <laughs> Just something you don't want to see. How do you radio look? makes you do it to yourself. Right. <laughs> uh, I thought of Raymond naked uh, wrestling a gorilla before this episode. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, you and a sh- Lipton tea lady. <laughs> I've seen them wrestling. <laughs> Uh, there was a slam of the bedroom door that made me laugh really hard. You guys catch that? I just wanted to, when she got yeah. angry and went to her room. Click. <laughs> um, here's the first nitpick. If he threatens to kill her, and like I should kill you, and, and she just goes to her room and goes to bed, why is she staying in the house that night? It's been, become very obvious that they're already extremely estranged and separated. Um, then he says, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. And then she goes, Yeah, okay. And then politely shuts her door and goes to sleep. <laughs> That's to me a loophole in plot that I would have liked to have seen worked out some other way for her to stay in the house. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but I would say they've already established that this is a relationship that has gone on like this for a long time and that he is impotent. In his threats? In his threats, yeah. Yeah. That's point one. Point two, this story is not realistic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's heightened. It's over the top. Yeah, Uh, I, I would definitely agree. Like, the plot, just as a this happens, this happens, this happens is not the strong point of the story. Because it's like, why does that happen? Yeah, because, like, taming a gorilla that quickly? <laughs> to well, come yeah, upstairs it's, and it's do strong your thing? on theme, but... Yeah. He murdered the ape's mate in the hopes to anger it to murder his mate. They switched murders. It's like monkeys on a train. <laughs> 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 so this is not a realistic. Look, I don't know uh, you, and you don't speak story. English. <laughs> I can't breathe. <laughs> monkeys on a train. She's just doing the sign language at me. <laughs> Will someone please film that? Okay. So, yeah. Here's the deal. I grappled with this episode because I loved it so much. And a couple episodes ago, grappled I grappled naked with it. Grappled <laughs> naked. <laughs> and I got my hands around its hairy throat and I had this realization. <laughs> a couple episodes like the hands of death. <laughs> right. Speaking of which, these over the top, pulpy stories that I really love. Mm-hmm. And it dawned on me that it's basically when done well, and I think this is done well, is a form of. I'm going on a limb here, but like radio expressionism. This is not about realism. It's trying to express the meaning, theme, or mm-hmm. emotional content rather than physical or logical reality. Mm-hmm. Yet it is still somehow thematically or emotionally consistent, even though it's absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Right? But yeah, but it does have the structure as though we're pretending to be a murder plot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what I was going to get at. This is my number one beef with the story itself. They're all trying to sell it from the organ to the narrator to everything is trying to sell it as this very scary and suspenseful piece. And it just isn't. 
They're mm. trying really hard to, huh, right? Isn't this scary? And no, it's not. It's an interesting story, but I think it gets waylaid by how scary they're trying to make it. You know, oh, look at this. It's a little Count Floyd. <laughs> SCTV, right? Like, But what else would you do with it? It's a story about a guy using it as an ape as a murder weapon who then becomes an ape. If you it. don't commit 100%, like 140%, <laughs> all the wheels fall off. Right? I don't think so. You really I, think you yeah. could do a subtle, <laughs> you know, nuanced interpretation I'm going of to story? open the cage, leave the house, and let him tear apart that house and kill her and come back. You know what I mean? Okay, but like, you're rewriting. I you're absolutely, I'm rewriting. The performances are fine. I think it's all great. I don't even find it that over the top in the performances. I'm just saying from a plot standpoint, there's a way to make it more interesting. And they tried to sell it in a lot of ways as something that it wasn't. And it could have been something really interesting to me mm-hmm. if this guy <laughs> waylaid the truck, got the ape to his house, opened the cage, ran out. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's an interesting Again, I think point. that goes back to a drive for realism that I don't yeah. think this story was striving for at all. And that's the their mistake. Plot points that fail, and you're describing a different you know, way, make these plot points work, would not be as interesting to me, I think, as the parts of it that did interest me of... Which I thought were actually kind of subtle of this guy talking about, I was hunting and something happened to me that made it so I never want to hunt again. Hmm. And he Mm -hmm. never really spells it out what it was. There's some naked grappling, though. Well, he was, (laughs) as he was hunting, he saw his wife and everything he wanted to kill. Yep. And that when he killed this ape's mate, either knowing beforehand what he was doing or just like, I did this and I was thinking of killing my wife. Through the whole thing, I was wondering, is he sympathizing with the ape? Uh, like, I can't kill anymore because I see this thing as something now that sings. It moves its mouth. This is an intelligent thing that I'm killing. Mm-hmm. And he is offering it its chance at revenge. Yeah. When he says, I'll bring you home and you can kill my wife. <laughs> yes. but, I mean, we're joking, but that there is a lot of strange psychology going on here. A lot of Freudian sublimation because he says straight out that hunting expeditions are a substitute for the love he wants to receive. Yeah. Um, and then there's a discussion where Cecile or Cecily, his wife, says, yeah. you're always bragging about your hunting trip. So it's got this real sexual connotation that instead of receiving this love, he goes and kills. And then eventually it turns to this weird psychological <laughs> projection where he's projecting himself onto the Onto ape. the ape, yeah. yeah. So he literally becomes the ape. Yeah. And I'm going to go wrestle an ape. <laughs> <laughs> but well, there's that tension between the plot it's trying to be of monkeys on a train that's exactly it <laughs> and this weird psychology of that almost has nothing to do with the murder of i just i'm now so sympathetic with these animals and i feel like i'm being treated like an animal i'm being hunted yeah and it, it starts to blur so much that it's unclear whether did the ape kill her because we don't see it happen he finds her dead on the roof or did he killer and blackout yeah, like did the ape just run away and he convinced himself <laughs> that it was an ape who killed her it's well and is that surreal thing of like i've dragged you in an iron cage across the ocean and now you want to hold my hand and i take you upstairs i love that image <laughs> that is a moment where i i did kind of fall in love with this story i want a painting of that or a ridiculous t-shirt of this <laughs> crazy man holding the hands of an ape going up the murder stairs <laughs> to kill his wife and that odd detail of, but he stopped playing the carpet a little bit yeah he pats the carpet and like they even sand. do some foley yeah and it's a, a startlingly realistic moment in mm-hmm. the midst of all this craziness yeah so i guess that's why the expressionism comparison came to mind it reminds me of something like What's the famous one? The Scream. Yeah. That painting, which it looks like a kid drew it, yet it's haunting, a little frightening, but also kind of a little funny. <laughs> Just <laughs> like Ape Song. <laughs> and the image of an ape opening and closing its mouth, but nothing coming out, mm-hmm. and it being a sign of fear. And then he compares that moment to the moment where he himself cries, but no yeah. tears come out. Mm-hmm. So, again, over the top. But we brought this up when we talked about uh, the hands of death, that it almost has a Lynchian quality in its (laughs) strangeness. But I I totally agree. It does fight with the plot it kind of is trying to tell and not doing very well at that plot. Yeah, but here's the deal. As you've noticed, I've been quiet for about 10 minutes. Once again, (laughs) I listen to something and I say, oh, that's what I think. And then I sit and watch you two talk. (laughs) And now I'm sitting here going, wow, I was really wrong. 
you're right. There's a lot of cool things going on in this story. Tim and I got together before the podcast. Yep. Was like, can we just make Eric think this, this is really deep? <laughs> well, it's no, got a I, lot more texture to it than I was giving it credit for. And again, I have a tendency to just listen to the story and not mm-hmm. think about what well, it means. I, and I will often will go in and like, I love a good theme. And will forgive some plot mistakes. Mm. That is not the proper priorities of going to listen to I would story. say the weird plot device is Murchison. He seems like something yeah. out of a very traditional yes. murder story. And he mm. wants to force certain meanings onto the story. And that's where it feels really awkward. When I'm alone with Raymond Edward Johnson and the ape, I'm really happy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Murchison comes in kind of oddly trying to tell mm-hmm. you empirically what is happening and explain mm-hmm. the psychology. And it doesn't quite work. Um, he also comes back because he wants to sleep on that comfortable couch of his, <laughs> which is a really weird, awkward moment. <laughs> Clearly, we find out that he suspects something right. weird is going on, but it is a pretty lame excuse right. to get back in the house. How comfortable your couch is. <laughs> I've done that. It's like a really bad Columbo moment there. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, just sitting here thinking and listening to you guys, I have a lot to... Different opinion already of, of this. Mm. I think it's a, as a straightforward story is how I view everything. If I stop to start thinking about what does that mean or what layers are there or what psychological trope or uh, message is trying to happen here, I can't hear the story anymore. My brain starts to think. If you just tell me a story, <laughs> I'm just going along for the ride. So the story itself is man gets ape. <laughs> brings it upstairs, holds its hand lovingly, <laughs> lets loose on wife, becomes ape. So in that sense, I, I kind of go, yeah, okay. That's See, I'm thing. still on board for that, but I get <laughs> <laughs> But I get now thinking of the, the hunting and the tying in of that and how all those things he was saying about uh, something has changed in him and the idea of the revenge with the gorilla into a play and the guilt of that. I, it's a lot more interesting when you stop and think about things, and I should do that more often. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with requiring logic from your story, though, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and it is short on that. I do require a lot of logic, don't yeah. I? Yeah, I think I mean, when I was listening to this, there's first when they start to talk about, oh, yeah, the ape sing. Yes. Tell me more about the ape singing. Is the ape going to sing now? <laughs> Well, then once I lost that sort of preconceived concern about the story. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. That's what I wanted. Just as the plot elements get, that's odd. That's weird. That's a little illogical. Then my mind starts to flit to like, well, what does that mean? Right. Uh, I, meanwhile, was on YouTube looking up singing apes. Because <laughs> I had to know. And it turns out they do. Uh, they do make a weird What sound. are we doing here right now? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we might link that for you. Uh, there's some apes eating some bananas stuff and singing. <laughs> so if this episode didn't do it for you, listeners, you have a second chance to be entertained. <laughs> Should we vote? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll start because uh, I would have voted differently 10 minutes ago. I won't go as far as say classic, but I think it definitely stands the test of time. I'm going to go back and listen to it again with that information in my head. And again, I, you know, and I apologize to you guys and the listeners. I am just such a straightforward story guy (laughs) that I sometimes forget that people write things with other meanings, which I don't (laughs) quite understand how they do that. Or we might have backfilled all that meaning. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's pretty obvious. Um, I also, I think a classic is not an appropriate name for this story, but... Would uh, it be a classic of the ape genre? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, although that's a demanding genre. It's better than some other ape stories that we've done. Maybe? Maybe? Maybe. <laughs> it is hands down the best ape-related story we have done. I will just come out and say that boldly. But please go on, Tim. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, those strange, subtle, weird writing choices really made it stand the test of time for me. Yeah, I think this is a personal vote for me for Stands the Test of Time because I think a lot of listeners will have difficulty with the over-the-top nature of this. I think it speaks to how science fiction has changed over the decades, and I think we have we are and have been in a period of more magical realism where 
science fiction or fantasy or horror depicts a world very closely resembling our own with just a few odd, strange elements that creep in. I think that's why Quiet Please still works so well today. It's more on that side of it. Whereas this is just bonkers crazy. I think at no point are we supposed to relate um, (laughs) to any characters in this story other than the bigger emotional ideas behind it. So... Another place that this uh, this episode sort of just twisted and got me was I worked on the assumption that Murder at Midnight is this formulaic show where someone dies at midnight. Dun, dun, dun. Murdered at midnight. And that, that happened, and then there was a whole other bit of show to go. Right. That I was like, what's happening now? Now I just thought of Raymond Edward Johnson laid out naked next to a dead gorilla. That's the other image at the end. So I just had to share that. It's, it's like a traumatic event. It's slowly coming back to me. It's a gruesome ending. Bob, thank you so much for the recommendation. Yes, thank you. That was a lot of fun to talk about. I feel learned. <laughs> I feel smarter. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. There you'll find not only other episodes of this podcast, but a variety of ways to get a hold of us. You can get a hold of us through uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can just leave a comment on any individual episode. You can also just uh, reach our contact page. All of that will work to get a hold of us and say hi or make a request of your own if you like. Yes, and you can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast if you are so inclined. We've got a lot of exciting rewards for membership. We have a additional monthly podcast for members only. We've got buttons, t-shirts. Uh, we have an exciting new reward for when we reach $250 a month. I'm yeah. not even going to tell you what it is right now. I'm going to encourage you to go to patreon.com <laughs> and find out what it is. Maybe later we'll talk about it. <laughs> do we know what it is? We do know what it is. Okay. <laughs> Eric clearly hasn't been to our Patreon page in a while. <laughs> so, um, Eric, go to patreon.com and check it out. You can't make me. It's not a singing ape. <laughs> well, coming up next uh, is nobody's pick. It is our 100th episode uh, yes. next week. And this is uh, a reward for... We're reaching $100 a month on Patreon. Right. So we're going to do War of the Worlds. Uh, yes. The classic uh, from uh, Mercury Theater on the Air and Orson Welles. And we'll delve into that next week. Until then... Look out! Didn't I kill your mate? <laughs> and now, my friend, you shall act as my conscience. You shall kill Cecily in revenge. You do my murder. I do yours. Your wife, my father. Crisscross. What? <laughs> yes, yes, you do understand. 